1: In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at Luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Welcome to Theater Geeks Anonymous. At this time, we ask that you turn off all cell phones. Unless, of course, you're using them to listen to this podcast, in which case, please keep it on. And please refrain from any flash photography, as it is dangerous to the performers of this podcast. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show.
1: Don't you see? It's so simple. Step one, we Google the biggest flops on Broadway. Step two, we find the crazy stories behind them. Step three, we see how they lose millions of dollars. Millions? Broadway isn't cheap. A lot of fancy people want to be producers. Step four, find out why the show won't go on. Step five. This episode and head to Times
0: Square. Times Square? That'll never work. Only Broadway successes are in Times Square. Oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> Welcome.
1: <laughs> hey, Theater Geeks. Hello. Uh, this is Pamela.
0: <laughs> and this is Ebony. Welcome to Theater Geeks Anonymous, the <laughs> show where we talk about Broadway flop scandals and new works. Who sues? <laughs> Who fails? We tell their story. You have to sing it, Ebony. I, I still set you sing. up. I don't sing. <laughs> it's going to be so bad, but really good. No. <laughs> Just
1: bad. Broadway flops, scandals, new works. Go. No. Oh. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Who
0: fails? <laughs>
1: Who suits? We tell the story. Oh. <laughs> Did you like that?
0: The vocal fry at the end. I know.
1: <laughs> well, it is late in the day. It, it just comes very naturally when it's late in the day it like does. this. <laughs> it does. But I also wanted to add like a little R and B type <laughs>
0: feel. <laughs> oh, well,
1: goodness. if you've stumbled upon us,
0: you know that Ebony and I like to talk about theater. We do. We like to talk about theater, and we like to talk about how theater fell apart. Yeah. And be sad about it. Yeah. But then hopeful that maybe one day whatever fell apart could be fixed and put back together. Who knows? It's possible. Or maybe it already has, and you'll find
1: out at the end of the story. That's, that Thank you for too foreshadowing. Uh, I feel like oh, we. Were, I saw, oh,
0: I saw a play. <gasps> what play? I saw Vanity Fair. Ooh, tell me everything. Yeah, okay, so there's this theater company that I'm kind of obsessed with <laughs> called Bedlam. They produced um, Sense and Sensibility at the gym at Judson. And I found out about it because I made a friend during the time she was in this play. Yeah. And I mean, P.S., she's baller. Okay. But like,. Also, Eric Tucker, the director, is brilliant. Okay. I have a talent crush on him, I think. Oh, I love talent crushes. Yes. Because the amount of imagination and joy that he imbues into his work is just, I just love, I just love it. Yeah. Love it, love it, love it.
1: Sidebar, I cannot use the word baller. Because if I (laughs) (laughs) if i tried to say something was baller it'd be like it'd be the stupidest like lamest thing (laughs) hey ebony your hair looks baller today can you imagine no No, don't do it i won't hey you know what else is baller
0: what today's episode i'm so excited are you okay okay, this one is called cape man the musical is is there somebody wearing a cape in this show oh yes there There is there is Oh yes, you'll find out. Okay. So
1: Cape Man the musical was written by Paul Simon. I love him. Yes. That Paul Simon of Simon and Garfunkel fame. I I of him. what is the um dun 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 Oh yeah, yeah, calm down. Yeah. Call yeah. me out, like that's because I remember the video growing up with Chevy Chase and Paul Simon, yes. like oh, it was the best. It was yeah. so good. I just couldn't remember the name. That's all, but I remembered the lick.
0: This the song from The graduates, the one that like, uh, uh parsley, sage, rosemary. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was. I
1: like more of the fast songs.
0: But that <laughs> one, I just feel like parsley, sage. Yes. Was- it just always, I'm like, every time I'm cooking with parsley, sage oh, or thyme or rosemary, that, those are the... And you can cook with all of
1: them together you all can. the time. You anytime you want on vegetables, on really chicken, good. on steak, on yeah. fish, in pasta. In pasta? It's really baller in pasta.
0: <laughs> every time you say that, it's hilarious.
1: Baller. <laughs> so oh in addition to paul simon uh uh, it was also helped uh helped written wow (laughs) helped written do you like my my english helped written uh yeah it was also written Mm -hmm. with the help of Mm -hmm. (laughs) Derek walcott who was a 1992 nobel prize winner for literature
0: oh he just passed away yes he did yeah
1: he passed away so that is sad but well We'll will celebrate his life. Yeah, <laughs> in this. Uh, in 1988, Paul Simon started work on this show, and he was aided by Carlos Ortiz, who translated the source material that he was able to find.
0: I I know the I know like the source material. You know, mm-hmm. like. The story, but like I didn't understand why it was called the Cape Man. Like oh, that, I never well, understood. Well, let me enlighten you. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so the no- synopsis of the musical is um, set in August of 1959. It follows 16-year-old Salvador Agron, who is a member of a street gang known as the Vampires. Uh, he murders two teenagers on a playground, and he became known as the Cape Man because he was wearing a long vampire-like cape with a red lining while committing the murders. Mm-hmm uh the musical begins with Agrons. yeah it's not it's not light material at all right it's very heavy
0: i knew that but i didn't okay so he was wearing a cape he was wearing the cape while he did the murder i feel like
1: i mean i guess at that point in time you had to make a name for yourself if you were in the gang and Mm -hmm. so that was his shtick wearing the cape okay but i think who actually coined the term cape man were the press when they told the story they were like this you know this 16 year old murderer okay it's like how they cape. did the
0: btk killer exactly so we're gonna call like him that. the
1: cape man okay yeah
0: um the musical begins with
1: agron's childhood in puerto rico uh, and then follows his family's move to new york city he has a rough childhood which i'll get into later but it included frequent encounters with his stepfather. Uh, At first, he was more interested in girls than gangs, but he ends up joining the vampires because they rescue him when another gang attacks him. Later, when Agron's friend is beaten, the gang seeks revenge for his friend. They never found the gang that hurt his friend, but Agron stabs two innocent bystanders to death. He is captured and sentenced to death, and he claims to be unrepentant. That's the first act. So, and Curtin, can you imagine what that intermission is like? Oh my goodness. Second act begins with the sentence being commuted by Roc- uh, Governor Rockefeller to life in prison. Uh angry Salvador starts to grow up and eventually turns his life around. He starts a correspondence with a Native American woman named this is best guess Wazanak. It's spelled okay. W A H Z I N A K. Okay. It's a Native American name. So if I'm if I'm pronouncing it wrong, let me know, but I think that's my best guess is Wazanak. Which was played by Sarah Ramirez of Spamalot fame.
0: I Sarah When I read if you're listening to this, can you please do me a favor and come back to Broadway, please? please please? i really do please come back okay can you like i just every time
1: i think of her i laugh because of her tony award acceptance speech thanking clariton i just i'm like yes who else i mean like every actor was like yes thank you yes i think zyrtec but same kind of deal (laughs) Hmm. um yeah uh, and he falls in love with that native american woman who is basically corresponding with him while he's in prison. He escapes prison to be with her. But after having a vision in the desert, he turns himself back in three years are added to his sentence, which he quietly serves. And when he gets out, he discovers the world can only ever know him as Cape man. No matter how much he changed in prison, his mother is the only one who accepts him. She tells him she dreamt an angel allowed him into heaven. And that's the end of the show. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the real Salvador Agron. Okay. He was born in April, uh, April 24th, 1943. And he died April 22nd, 1986. Um, that's not really important. I just thought I'd, (laughs) but his mother was divorced, uh, divorced his alcoholic father and started work at a convent for $8 a day. Mm. Um, this would have been back in the forties, uh, nuns, essentially separated the mother from her two children. Sal had a sister named Aria. The nuns would discipline them with an iron fist and often leave the children in the same room as all of the insane inmates of the convent. Isn't that awful? But the mother had no say in it. Ugh, it's terrible. Mother finally married a Pentecostal minister to get her kids back, and they moved to New York City. Okay. So it doesn't really explain whether or not she loved him the way that they told me just made it seem like she married him in order to get her kids back and get out of of Puerto Rico right. but who knows maybe they liked each at other she
0: loved it sounds like she at least loved her children absolutely
1: uh and that never that never changes mm-hmm. until the end of this story the mother is is really super supportive of Salvador mm-hmm. Agron uh Oria or Aria it's, it's okay. A U E R E A it's Aria I'll just call her Aria um This uh, said in I think it was either a book that she wrote or an interview that she gave. She told people that the stepdad hated Sal from the very start, that he would give him lashings with a thick rope until his body was covered in welts. He kept the refrigerator chained so the only food available was controlled by him. Gifts given to the children by friends and family would be taken away and thrown out. Um, It. It told me then later when Sal got to be about 13 years old, his stepdad would ban him from the house for days at a time, basically forcing him to fend for himself on the streets of New York City. When a gang tried to force Sal to join, he asked his mother if he could go live with his father in Mayaguez, Puerto Rico. Less than a year with his father, he had a bad childhood, I'm telling you. Less than a year with his father, Sal came home to discover the body of his stepmother. No! She had hung herself. No! No! So at that point, his father sent him back to New York where at age 15, he joined the gang called the Mau Mau's and later joined the vampires. So like he was set up for failure, this poor kid.
0: Okay, so really quick. This week, another thing I did was I went to a talk with a former, a reformed neo Nazi. Oh my gosh. And um, one of the things that he talked about was when he joined, he didn't necessarily join up for the ideology. He of joined the for neo-Nazis. protection, probably. Well, and family. It, yeah, it's the family aspect. So it's like that need to belong that we mm-hmm. all have. And so. Well, I mean, just and like, these
1: gangs will prey on that. They'll yeah, see a child that has absolutely. been isolated or has been mistreated and mm-hmm. they'll swoop in and say, hey, we'll take care of you. Yeah. You know, we got your back. I bet your stepdad doesn't have your back. That kind of stuff. So it's, I mean, it's just really awful. Mm-hmm. Um August thirtieth of nineteen fifty nine, Sal is fifteen years old. The vampires were on their way to a rumble with the Norsemen, which was a rival Anglo-Saxon gang, when Agron mistakenly stabs three teenagers and flees. The uh, two of them, Anthony Anthony Krasinski and Robert Young Jr., both die. The newspapers nickname him the Cape Man because of the long Dracula-like cape he wore while committing the murders. And he's quoted as saying, I don't care if I burn, my mother could watch me. At age 16, he's the youngest person ever to be sentenced to death in New York State. Holy jeez. Both Eleanor Roosevelt and Robert Young Sr., who was the father of one of the victims who died, campaigned for leniency. Uh, And in 1962, his sentence is commuted to life in prison. Okay. So they saw, you know, 16 year-old kid being uh, sentenced to death, And yes, he did horrible things, but that's such a oh, yeah, talk about the prison system. This is a whole other podcast. Yeah. I will be getting back to musical theater, though. don't you worry. <laughs> um, he has learned to read and write, and he's gotten his GED, started writing poetry, and he received his associate's degree. I feel like that rhymed. <laughs> It was a little sing song. It really was. I didn't mean to. Um, In 1976, Governor Carey reduces his sentence, which makes him eligible for release in 1977. Um, But in April of 1997, he escapes to Phoenix, but he's captured two weeks later. So he's eligible in 1976 he's told next year you're getting out but he makes it to next year just not to the full extent of that year and he decides to escape which just i mean no sense none at all like no no none at all um november of 1977 he's found not guilty of the escape though due to mental illness so i don't get that uh and on november 1st 1979 Because a couple of years were added to a sentence from the escape, even though he was not guilty. I don't know. That's really strange, too. Um, He's released from prison. He's age 36. He worked as a youth counselor and spoke out against gangs for over five years at that point. And on April 16th, 1986, he's 42. He's admitted to the hospital for pneumonia and internal bleeding. And he dies six days later, surrounded by friends and family. So let's go back to the show. That is okay. that is who the main character of Cape Man right. is. I mean, you did an episode on Legs Diamond right. where you said it was really hard to like the character. Right. And starting out reading the synopsis and then finding out who this guy is, I, I'm i kind of inclined to follow that thinking. Right. It's, it's really hard to find any kind of redeeming quality in a 16-year-old that's willing to just stab, stab and 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 be completely remorseless. However, we'll find I, we'll get we'll get there a little bit. Excuse me. Uh January 29th of 1998 it opened on Broadway. The cast included Mark Anthony and Reuben Blades I'm, or Blades? Again, I'm shaking my head and, and I, you can't you see are it, Mark but... Anthony. Who knows? He may have been really good. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't even finish this sentence without laughing (laughs) i know the thing is he is exactly what the music required right uh it was that it was a very latin um slash gospel feel Mm -hmm. uh, and so they needed a a person of hispanic origin who was going to be really be able to like feel the music and you paul simon is a musician first right so possibly he also thought that's the only important thing in musical theater. The only important thing is to be able to sing, right?
0: <laughs>
1: it's hard. And, and then
0: I think about ugh, minority actors don't have enough parts, and yeah. you've stunt casted right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, and this was back in 1998, so mm-hmm. this is not
1: even that long ago. Right. So yeah, it's rough. It is rough. Um. So I mentioned this before that the music in the show is kind of a mix of duop gospel and Latin music. It did receive Tony nomination for best original score, best orchestrations and best scenic designs. So the music, and I did listen to the music. The music is available. It was not a cast recording. It was more of a concept album oh, made all, before all sung by Paul. Well, there it's are like... other people singing it, okay. but Paul Simon is heavily involved in the recording as well okay but it, it's worth listening to i think if you divorce the musical the music from the musical mm-hmm. it is a really great album mm-hmm. it just doesn't perpetuate the story right it doesn't help tell the story which is what musical theater is it's telling yes, a story it is <laughs> Simon enlisted the help of Derek Wolcott, who we, who, Walcott, excuse me, who I mentioned before, Nobel Prize winning author and poet. Their working relationship was awkward at first. Mm-hmm. Simon wasn't used to the kind of co- uh, creative collaboration. He was, well, and I'm sure that that's why Simon Garfunkel broke up. It's because he was used to doing things all on his own right. and he didn't like that kind of collaboration. And Walcott initially disliked the show's main character, which i can get behind right uh simon insisted the music be written first with the lyrics set to the songs which again is so difficult in musical theater because you Mm. have to tell the story first (sighs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) um let's see oh but eventually the two did finish the show with the music composed by simon and the lyrics being about 50 50 simon walcott Simon spent five years and almost a million dollars recording the music, which is a completely unorthodox approach to constructing a Broadway show. Typically, writers will deliver a script and the score to the director, who will then assemble and create the final production. But Simon wanted to retain full artistic control through the entire production. And he soon encountered resistance for not playing by the usual rules, which I'm not surprised by either. Simon was often cited as being disdainful of Broadway.
0: (laughs) Why are you writing a show then? If you well, I think he he was
1: (laughs) not narcissistic, but like he he
0: thought not narcissistic. Well,
1: he was narcissistic enough to think that he could come in and change the rules and like rewrite Broadway when.
0: Broadway's done pretty well since Oscar and Hammerstein. Right. Well, so here here's the thing about these successful men and women mm-hmm. who do end up sort of quote-unquote rewriting the rules successfully, yeah. is they already have a reverence for the craft. Yes. So it's like Lynn Manuel, mm-hmm. Stephen Sondheim, They've they've created a completely new way to do musical because theater. Because they
1: grew up listening to That's it right. and loved it so much that they thought, what can I do to
0: make it better? That's right. And Stephen was mentored by Oscar right, Hammerstein. Right. So it's like one of these things where if you don't already love it, if you don't already have a reverence for it and a respect for mm-hmm. it, then there's no, you can't. You can't just come in and be like, I'm just going to do my own thing over here, completely divorced from everything that's ever been done before (laughs) and still have it work. Because the rules, the basic rules still apply. Yes. They just do. They should.
1: (laughs) Um, In interviews, he was actually, he said he hoped that he could reinvigorate what he saw as a stale musical form. He was also quoted. Let's see. Broadway music ended up in a weird cul de sac, probably because it had never been energized by rock and roll. Okay, can I just point out that every time rock and roll has been injected into musical theater, it has been not actual musical theater. It's been more of a review show, well, i.e., Mamma Mia. For Rent. Rent is different, but even Rent was musical theaterized rock and roll i don't know it's different there's there's it's still different i because you're still telling the story right and i think that is the difference between musical theater and any other genre even though it sounds similar right right it is different because the story is still being told through the song
0: he he, what he he just wanted to make a rock album and put it on stage basically basically Mm
1: -hmm. um Theater producer Rocco Landsman is quoted as saying the idea that you can, at a strike, rewrite an art form is a little presumptuous. I can't say that people in the theater community were rooting for Paul Simon after all the things he said about Broadway. In 2011, Paul Simon actually does admit that his admit to his inexperience. Mm -hmm. He says that it's not easy to write for the theater for the first time. For people coming out of popular music, writing songs that further the plot is different from writing whatever is on your mind. It's a different discipline. So it only took him
0: ten years, but (laughs) but he did. It's not even the first time. It's like musical theater is just difficult. These people work their fingers to the bone. Yeah, they work for. Years. Have some respect. You can't expect... I mean, even the people
1: that were successful on their first go around, you can't expect that. No. And in fact, I feel like the people that do expect it will never succeed in that right. way. But the people like um, who wrote the drowsy chaperone for his wife. Yeah. Like, I can't remember his name right now, but like he was the sweetest man in the whole entire world because <laughs> he just wrote this as a gift to his wife right. and it ended up being this enormous success. And yeah. he was so cute in it. Yeah. So c- I just wanted to hug him. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I did I just, see him.
1: Yeah, I did him. It was so good. But yeah. he was utterly surprised mm-hmm. that it made this success. Lynn Manuel was the same way in In the Heights. Yeah. He wrote it as a gift to his wife
0: and it ended no.
1: up isn't that?
0: No. No. In the Heights he wrote started writing wait before he met Oh, Vanessa. that's right. It was like a college project. Yeah. That's right. He was writing that that show for My God. For ages. Yeah. And then he was completely surprised by its success, which I just love. Mm -hmm. I love that.
1: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? uh, of financiers and producers including James L. Niederlander and Brad Gray, who was the former chairman and CEO of Paramount. Mm-hmm. And the team was able to raise and contribute several million dollars, but none had the experience producing a Broadway show. Mm-hmm. So not only did he not have experience, he surrounded himself with people that had no experience in musical theater whatsoever uh, and had millions of dollars to to succeed or fail with the production cost, an estimated eleven million dollars, which was very high for Broadway at that time. Some of the cost was because of Simon's insistence that musicians participate in the rehearsals with the actors. That is unheard of, like in rehearsal process. You don't have a full orchestra. You, you have usually the have the musical director or the assistant musical director mm-hmm. and a piano. Mm-hmm. Sometimes just a keyboard. Mm-hmm. But you never have the full orchestra. So the fact that, I mean, and, and I love that he felt that the music was that important. Mm-hmm. But again, you just, you have to kind of work with the system the way it is because the system has been there for a long, long time. Right. Like it knows what it's doing. Uh, to round out some of the unorthodox moves, Simon hired the director last He just didn't want competition. In the final 18 months before its opening, there were three different directors, ending with Mark Morris, who was also the choreographer. The show's eventual release date was delayed by last-minute editing and restructuring. Oh, that's so stressful. Derek Walcott effectively walked out of the show after resisting rewrites. So this man... Who, again, it's like, I'm sure that Derek's stuff is amazing. You don't hire a Nobel Prize winning poet and author and not expect it to be just amazing material. But the way you put together a Broadway show is that you throw everything on the page and then you whittle it down Mm -hmm. until that's your finished product. And I don't think that, uh, that an author and poet of his stature was really ready for that kind of a process mm-hmm. um reuben blades again i don't know how to pronounce his name it might be blades i'm gonna say blades because that's how it's spelled <laughs> um so if i'm wrong just tell me um uh, reuben blades said i admire him deeply Der- speaking of Derek walcott he's a nobel laureate but there are cultural nuances that are lost in translation that Walcott was simply unable to catch. I also had struggles with Simon, telling him that uh, that a particular line or uh, uh, that a particular line would never have come out of a Latino's mouth if the play is to be believable. Mm-hmm. Jerry Zachs was hired in an unofficial capacity to help Mark Morris. Uh, he said, "I've done about as much as I can with what's there." <laughs> Oh, heavens. The production was in previews during rewriting, uh, which put the cast in a difficult position of performing the original version each night while they learned and rehearsed rewritten versions in the afternoons. So
0: was there a tryout for this? It doesn't seem like it. No. No. So there you go. This is is like the major problem. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, it's just, I don't know. I mean, you like you set yourself up. For the, for the finished product that you get. On January 29th of 1998, it opened at the Marquee Theater to very poor reviews. Ben Brantley from the New York Times praised the songs from the album, but said that translation to stage was lacking. Everything, this is a quote, everything in the music melts together. Practically nothing that said, uh, nothing's that said done and shown on stage seems to connect with anything else. Brantley admired Anthony and Blade's talents, but he criticized the writing of their character, saying that Mark Anthony has been given no proper role to play. He wrote that the historical footage of Agron stole the show, especially young Sal's media statements that his mother could watch him burn. Nothing. this is another quote, nothing that Mr. Anthony or Mr. Blades does in The Cape Man begins to approach the disturbing complexity of that image. So this was like a multimedia type production. They had a big screen on the back of the stage where they would uh, put different videos of what was going on in New York City at that time and they would have actual footage of Salvador Agron at the time as well. Um, And so that was what Brantley was talking about it just being a real disconnect. An article in The Progressive suggests cultural factors that led to bad reviews, citing uh, mainstream backlash against Simon's disparagement of the Broadway system and discomfort with racial and ethnic themes in the Broadway core audience. It points out that reviews were generally positive among out of town critics and non-white New York critics. But not white New York critics and not actual New Yorkers. Mm-hmm. Um, producers discussed strategy to keep it open until the Tony nominations in May. The community protested, Ebony. Some were upset that Simon would choose Agron as the subject of a play in the first place. They felt that the show glorified a murderer. And the critics at the New York Times wrote, The outlaw as hero is a ticklish topic. Robin Hood gains a lot by being a medieval legend rather than a modern day reality. With Salvador Agron, the problem intensifies. He is fact, not fiction. So people had a really difficult time looking past the fact that this man was a multiple murderer. And was, by all accounts, completely unremorseful when he was first taken in. So they would actually have people at the theater, at the stage doors, at the entrance, protesting this show, so that people would actually have to walk through these protesters to go and see the show. Agron was nobody's hero, and the show closed on March twenty eighth of nineteen ninety eight after only sixty eight performances. Mm-hmm. I'm actually kind of surprised that they were able to keep it open that long. And I think, honestly, it wasn't because of people actually coming to the show, but it was that idea that if we just stay open long enough, we'll get nominated for the Tony Award. Mm -hmm. And they were, Mm -hmm. but probably through the help of someone's pocket, not necessarily ticket sales. It's not the least successful of the shows that we're podcasting, but it is remarkable because of the content of the Mm -hmm. show. Mm -hmm. I think... If you think back at any of the musicals that Broadway has had, I can't think of a one that glorifies a murderer quite so spectacularly as the Cape Man. It's very difficult. I mean, like, it's difficult for me, Pamela, to divorce the idea that we are essentially celebrating with musical theater this kid who... Murdered not because it was another gang member, but because he was he was too quick and just decided well the north, you know the the other gang isn't here, so I'm just going to stab these two kids and and these two kids are probably never even mentioned in the musical besides the fact that they're stabbed so it's it is difficult so Anthony Krasinski and Robert Young jr are you know, are the ones that (laughs) are innocent, completely innocent of any wrongdoing at Mm -hmm. all in this, except for being at a park late at night Mm -hmm. and their murderer has now got this musical written about him. It's, it's difficult. I mean, yes, he did one, he did some great things later in his life. He got out of, when he got out of prison, he really did, you know, hit the ground running as far as being an activist against Mm. gangs. He would, he would go to schools and speak to them. He, you know, he would use his own life experience as Mm. the example of what not to do, but it is still hard to, to, to go and watch a musical based on that. It was a touchy subject and it was a real touchy subject, I think for a lot of people when the show was running.
0: That's the oh, end. <laughs> da, 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 da. <laughs> uh, I know it's rough. That's, it's rough. That's a tough one. I mean, and even in with the legs diamond one, mm-hmm. uh, the difference there is like the story. You know, it's 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 fictitious. Yeah. So based it's, on a
1: real person, right. but it's all fictional. Right. This was not. This was no. the retelling of. Right. But and and I think cuz it is worth listening to the music because it is really good music it's paul simon so mm-hmm. it, how can it not be good music but it's it's incredibly unapologetic mm. the lyrics take no responsibility for his actions in mm. fact the the opening number almost says because of everything that happened to him that gives him license to act however it, you know that's the reason i'm acting this way it's that's okay. why you know it's it's not my fault it's because new york was like this it's because my stepdad was like this it's because you know the nuns were like this it's like it, he never ever takes responsibility takes responsibility and that all comes from paul simon and i think you know that that was the difficult part for me because listening to the music You know, if you just close your eyes and listen to the nice, you know, gospel slash Latin feel and there's a lot of like really beautiful harmonies in it. It's it's really beautifully sung. It's really beautifully performed. But then you listen to the lyrics and you're like,
0: um, hang on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I don't know. What do you think? I I understand why the people were protesting. Yeah, I really understand it.
1: Me too. (laughs)
0: i mean that one i'm i'm like really pretty quiet this is like it's just a heavy one intense it's very intense yeah it's like and that's another thing it's
1: i i mentioned this before in one of the other podcasts that we recorded probably rebecca i love the gothic musicals Mm -hmm. i love the emotional stuff but it's like it's all emotion based on a fictitious story right so it's fantasy, and I am able... You know, Sweeney Todd is about a man who wreaks vengeance on an entire town it's, by murdering them and then eating them. So
0: a, a, It is actually... And then, yes. I mean, the source material is based on yeah. it's not a true
1: story. <laughs> but the way it's told right. gives me the ability to laugh. Right, because it's
0: more allegorical. Completely.
1: Then. But it's like, this was not told that way at all. Mm-hmm. This was told like a historical nonfiction. yeah it's heavy <laughs> Woo. so thanks for listening <laughs> no we're just like right I mean so yeah uh, hey could you kind of do me a favor and mm. like share and follow us on Facebook <laughs> <laughs> Ebony thought I was being serious was really like asking her but she excellent. looked at me so earnestly was like yeah I can help you what do you need <laughs>
0: Uh, we are on Facebook at Theater Geeks Anonymous. And uh, you can follow us on Twitter at TGA B Way <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite thing ever. <laughs> I'm gonna go home singing it. I hope you do too. And you can also email us at TGA. Bway at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Send us stories. I love listening to st- reading Good. stories. Good stories. If you if you were in any of these shows that we oh, talked about. We want to hear about it. You can do. remain completely
1: anonymous, we you promise. Can. Just
0: make sure you tell us that you want to be yeah, anonymous.
1: Otherwise we will tell the full story. Well,
0: yeah. If, yeah.
1: Just <laughs> or if you have else. any kind of personal connection to these shows, I would love to hear it. Even if like if you have a connection to the main character that the musical yeah. is based on,
0: let me know. Love to hear that. Um, uh, and corrections, if, anything like that. Yeah, corrections and omissions. If there's something that we left out that you think is important, yeah. we can talk about that on our intermissions intermission episode. Intermission sewed. Intermission That's, that's what I've been calling it, intermission sewed. Inter- intermission um Any questions? for us as well rate share and subscribe rate rate review and subscribe subscribe.
1: there's always three and i always mess it up (laughs) rate review and subscribe us on itunes Mm -hmm. when you hear this podcast tell your friends about us please, because we want everyone to hear all about theater we want the whole world to feel that theater (laughs) is as important to them as it was to us when we were 10 years old yeah
0: oh my gosh (laughs) nerdy theater love and ebony it's all i listen to that's all you listen well praise music and yeah
1: yeah (laughs) like my mom would try to blast country music through the house it was it never i mean look we're not a country family but she liked brooks and dunn so she would listen to them like and saturday morning she'd start cleaning the house and like crank up the radio listening to brooks and dunn my mom had the gospel station
0: that was heaven 600 (laughs) and you had your shirley caesar okay and you had your oh the lady who was in leap of faith and now i've forgotten her name i talked about oh, her a loretta i can't remember oh, her I name can't right now either that's it's probably upsetting. not even loretta yeah <laughs> i think it started with an a but anyway she would be on there and mm-hmm. that's what that's good what we stuff had. Yeah. but
1: see i would be in my bedroom listening Country to lame is and into I, the, the woods
0: oh into the woods <sighs>
1: It was the first CD I ever bought for myself. Remember how I told you Lay Miz was the first cassette? Yeah. It was four cassette tapes for one (laughs) show that I bought for myself. But the first CD I ever bought for myself was Into the Woods. It was good. It's because I used to have, I used to have the cassette tape of the British version of Into the Woods, Mm -hmm. which had one extra song that the witch and the Rapunzel sang together. It was Mm -hmm. such a good song. But then when I bought the Broadway version, that song was With cut. With Bernie. With Bernie. Love Bernie. <laughs> Bernie's the re- Bernadette Peters is the reason why Broadway is where I
0: wanted to belong. <laughs> oh, Bernie. <laughs> Love her. All right. Well, that's it. The Cape Man comes to a close. There it is. And scene. Bye. Bye.